0: This episode of Breaking Walls is sponsored by. Are you a maker, doer, dreamer who enjoys their time alone? Who thrives on working solo? Then you might enjoy the Creative Introvert podcast. Every week I bring you musings, tips, and guest interviews in order to inspire and motivate my fellow creative inies. Find the show at thecreativeintrovert.com. Tired of the everyday routine?
1: Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all?
0: We offer you! What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode number 64. My name is James Scully... Today on Breaking Walls, we'll sit down with professional ballet dancer Laura De Laurentiis for a chat about her life, her career, and lessons she's learned along the way. This month's overarching show topic is Back to School, in honor of the new school year which kicks off in September, at least here in New York. So today, we'll sit with Laura under her learning tree and see what experiences she's had that can help teach us about our own. If this is the first time you're hearing Breaking Walls, thank you. And you can find this podcast by searching for Breaking Walls on iTunes and now on Stitcher and TuneIn. You can also follow us at The Wallbreakers on SoundCloud. By the way, if you're going to listen on iTunes, please leave a rating and review because it'll help the iTunes algorithm, it'll help the show become more virally discoverable, and it'll help, like I said, reach a wider audience. And by the way, don't hesitate to reach out to me with any questions, comments, or concerns. I'd love to hear them. Anything that you've got to say, please send it to james at thewallbreakers.com. You can also find out more about The Wall Breakers, listen to podcasts, read articles on art and creativity, and get more inspiration by going to thewallbreakers.com. And last announcement, I promise, to check out our line of New York City Unity t-shirts, please go to jamesthewallbreaker.com slash shop or thewallbreakers.com slash shop. They're typographic t-shirts. We use the slang names of the five boroughs of New York City to help inspire unity amongst New Yorkers near and far because as we know... Even in derisive times and divisive times, there's much more that unites us than separates us. And we, the Wallbreakers, were on all social media outlets at the Wallbreakers. Today's chat with Laura was recorded in Union Square in Manhattan, and I can say (laughs) the sights and sounds of New York City are present in this chat, and I think it adds to it because it gives context. Laura and I aren't sitting in a room somewhere, we're out in a relatively quiet park for New York City standards in the world, and... Whatever we're going to do in this world, learning lessons and things we're going to find out about ourselves, we have to get out there and get into the world to find them out. So please stay tuned for my conversation with New York City-based ballet dancer Laura De Laurentis after this brief pause. We were talking earlier, and I mentioned my own story growing up, mm-hmm. and how that had affected me. And knowing that you're adopted and that you originally come from Columbia, you grew up in Westchester,
1: correct? Uh, actually, uh, Fairfield County, Connecticut. Okay, sorry. They're essentially the same neighborhood, though.
0: Okay. <laughs> what was that story for you, both the adoption story and how that was told to you and how that was a part of your life as a child?
1: Well, obviously growing up, you you do realize kind of one of these things does not fit. So the neighborhood that I grew up in was very white Anglo-Saxon neighborhood, Caucasian. Most of the, I would say, 95% of my class when I was a young kid was, they were all white. And their parents were too. And everyone kind of noticed that I didn't look like them. I mean, I did too, but I didn't really think too much of it. Growing up, it was never really an issue that I was adopted at all. To me, I still considered my family to be my family. My parents are my parents. I love them dearly, and my sister as well, who's also adopted. But it did it did give me an extra facet to my personality and an and an interesting story behind it. Um, it never really bothered me, but it did occur to me that I was different.
0: Would you say then that is obviously something that has been a positive influence in your life?
1: I think so. It it really I. The way that I grew up forced me to look really objectively at everything. It's just, it's never going to be exactly what you think it's going to be, ever. Um, and being that, you know, social situations, how you fit into the world, the particular profession that I'm in, Latin American women are not a really big part of it. Um, and only just now the focus has been turned on, you know, putting more diversity in ballet, but that's, that's been, like, this is an age-old art form that only just now is starting to come to terms with that. But it does, it it did force me to look at things objectively and work hardest so that that wasn't the first thing that people saw.
0: You just mentioned that ballet is something that has generally, I guess, been both for the upper class and the dancers themselves have been, in my eyes, without knowing any better, Mm -hmm. fair-skinned, Russian, uh, Eastern European, uh, English, Irish, you know, that kind of like... Pale people dancing, <laughs> yeah. and you obviously from Colombian roots are olive-complected. Mm-hmm. How did you first get influenced by ballet or dance? What are some of your earliest memories? Was that something that was pushed upon you as a child, or was that something that you discovered yourself?
1: Everyone kind of noticed that there was something different about me when I was very young. My mom noticed right away that I had I had rhythm, that I was that I was a mover, that I could hear music, that I could also interpret it. When I was put in creative movement classes as a kid, they also noticed there, that I had an innate ability to hear music and considered putting me in ballet. Did everything ballet, tap, jazz, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, when I was like really young, the way that every young girl does and they they kind of said, you know, she she has a really, really interesting brain where ballet seems to be her strongest suit. And she has a facility for it. So maybe you should continue and, and put her in some part of classes and, and we'll see where this goes. And uh, at that time, Peter Martins had been a big figurehead at the Stanford Academy of Ballet. And they, and he would be seen oftentimes like stalking on during their Nutcracker performances and stuff like that. So they were, the teachers were telling my mother that they were trying to sculpt me essentially to have me audition later eventually for the School of American Ballet here in New York City at at Lincoln Center. So the teachers had picked me and, and I think Or myself and and another and i think two other girls to just kind of really focus on to get us audition ready but ballet was the first thing that everyone kind of noticed had the biggest impact on my dancing it was something that i was i was good at from a really young age good feet good turnout all the rest good facility those sorts of things
0: was that something that you've always gravitated towards or like You know, sometimes kids, when they're pushed hard in one direction, it's natural for them to rebel against it and not want to do it.
1: That's what happened. My mom, being a classical pianist, she really wanted me to, I mean, I was good at it. So she was very happy about that. But she, I feel like to a certain extent, I kind of, I liked the the structure of ballet, but I, I didn't understand that what I wanted was just more depth to it. So I kind of wanted to like try modern dance and like all these other, all these like different kinds of dance to try and really figure out what it was that I wanted to say with all of this. Because I like the vernacular, I like the vocabulary, I like the structure, I like the steps, I liked all of that about ballet, but I just wanted more from it. And I guess I didn't realize that the direction I was heading in as a child has now come full circle and now I work in two companies that that do that exactly. But I did rebel for quite some time and was like, no, I don't want to do this. (laughs)
0: Kid. <laughs> when we were just at breakfast talking mm-hmm. you were mentioning to me that you're schooled in a basically a, a philosophy more so than a particular style yeah. so you can kind of apply that philosophy that to various points in style can you expand upon what that philosophy is and what the teaching is that you've been taught with
1: I guess the, the school of thought that I kind of come from isn't actually really a school of thought. It's just the way that I think about movement, the way that I believe that it should be efficient, it should be mostly linear, but that the whole idea behind dance is that it's organized movement, kind of the way that music is organized sound. And a lot of it comes from the groundwork up, where you are understanding how each of your bones and your joints move, and how to preserve them best by creating efficient movement. The way I was taught when I was a kid was in Balanchine school. So they have a very specific style of American ballet called Balanchine and it, Balanchine style and that's the style that you see at New York City Ballet. There's a lot of over exaggerated positions, you have a lot of like winged feet, almost what they would consider distorted lines by a Russian classical or French or whatever standpoint, but they're just, they're bigger. One of the heavily touted things about New York City Ballet, yes, which is they're very musical. They're very musical. They have very innate musicality from like a young age.
0: Now, is that because essentially you're playing for the cheap seats instead of the people in the front row? Is that why the movements are so exaggerated?
1: No, it was just his style. That's just the way he wanted it to be. He just wanted it to be bigger, faster, like more, just more. He wanted it like more to come from it. And a lot of ballet dancers are, are a lot. A lot of ballet dancers are very, very strong, and they're very fast. That was a thing. He wanted speed from both men and women. Whereas, like in class, in classical ballet, they don't expect quite as much speed from women as they do from men, and not as much turning ability as women from men. And like he, he didn't care. He just wanted a woman who would be able to do everything. And he also found it to be more human to add that extra musicality and real texture to the movement in that sense they also their style of ballet like a lot of other styles they um, their use of the arms is much different the use of the head is much different and the use of the back is very 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 different and that's a big heavily like a heavy concept from a young age I was taught to move everything from the back of your body and that kind of changes the movement it also like brings your center of gravity more in towards the spine so that you can create these small fast movements and, and get a lot of texture out of fast pirouettes like of my of the dancers that I know like I'm one of the faster turners so fast jumper fast everything
0: and that's basically because with the core being so strong the limbs are free to move freely yep. correct
1: that's the idea so that is a big that's a big founding principle behind movement in general for me is that if if you if you have a strong a strong base and a strong foundation. The ease and the ease is what you're looking for to make it look easy, and you can't do that if you don't have a strong, like a strong foundation, a strong core to begin with, and then the rest of the limbs, the rest of the body, but the head can move as it needs to.
0: Take me back for a second yep. when you decided to come to New York. Sure. How old were you when you moved here?
1: I was 22, 23.
0: Yeah. So at this point, you're already trained. Well, I mean, obviously you're trained because you've been doing this from childhood, but yeah. you're past what somebody would consider the college age. Yeah. You're now in a working adult.
1: Yeah. So 22, 23, I, I came here. I was working at, at a gym, actually. I started out as a personal trainer. And and that I just, I thought was the right way to go. But I realized that in the fitness field, what I cared about the most was um, kind of almost from a healing perspective, almost like physical therapy. But I didn't really know that until later. But I got here by doing that, and then I started, I started um, an apprenticeship with a couple of a couple of people here in New York, and I um, I realized that I couldn't do the per- the personal training because that takes a lot of time. It's basically like a seventy to eighty hour week that you need to be working really if you want to make money from it. Trainer. Yeah, yeah, to make money from it, and it's just uh, between dancing almost twenty. That's not enough. Mm-hmm. I I was exhausted all the time, so I. I gave that up and started doing something a little bit more low budget, kind of like you know, just front desk work as, at a yoga studio. I thought that that worked pretty what, nicely, it, it paid the bills, it was fine for now. I would figure the rest out later and, and I was just focused on dancing at the moment. Um, I had moved to Greenpoint and then had to move quickly after and I moved to Williamsburg and then I was there for seven years.
0: Yeah. It makes sense to me that as a professional dancer, the job that you would take to help support yourself would be f- something, like yoga has physicality because right. it's body movement or body control. Same thing with working out, things keeping fit, similar things. Right. Financially, when you're going to be a professional dancer or when you want to be, especially when you're starting out in your 20s, are there more dry periods than there are wet periods as far as finding work? How do you survive financially being a professional dancer? You're basically doing 16 other things, right, to, keep, to support your habit of being a dancer.
1: Always, always. I mean, I'm one of the lucky few. I've, now I'm in the, I'm in good company where I have two good companies that I work for that pay me well. Well for a dancer. But there are lots of people, and there was lots of times where I had to take a lot of unpaid work. And I also was an apprentice for a while. Like that, That's you have to pay your dues. Paying dues, yeah, exactly. But all the while I was, you know, working, I don't know, a lot of people, they choose different things. Uh, some people work in the restaurant industry, which is you know where I ended up now. Some people work in you know the health and wellness field to just kind of keep the same mindset. It could be anything. I know other dancers that are perfume technicians. I know dancers that are in school for law, like there are so many things. I know a couple of the dancers that are in finance, it, it just ranges all over the map. It just depends on what you can do and how much you can handle physically. For myself, the way it is now is my life is, I would say, 95% dancing, and the rest is split up between either dance-related ventures or bartending, cocktail consulting, that sort of a thing. Very, very, very easy life (laughs) I never have to do anything I don't wanna do, but you do have to be always working. So I do fitwear modeling, usually get called in. I'm their petite, small model because I'm five foot three. And I also do brand ambassador stuff for a couple other companies and I also do cocktail consulting as well and those are the things that those all pay but those are definitely very niche things that you have to do all the time to support yourself and photo shoots too people pay for that stuff specifically
0: when it comes to dance Mm
1: -hmm.
0: how are you paid you're paid on a 1099 you take your own tax out
1: oh I wish it was like that no it's not the way it is now to be a part of the, I mean, to be a part of the freelancers union or um, for dance companies is they have to apply and if they're they're accepted then you get what you call 501c mm-hmm. I think right mm-hmm. and that's where you get a 1099 you have a you have a W2 you have all that the way that it works now is it's just 501 so we have companies that these are these are two companies that are both registered with nonprofit organizations that pay because, but they pay us kind of, I guess, under the table, essentially, because the, like, it's not taxed at all. Um, Because they don't have that 501c status, but they still have the money to pay us, which is important.
0: So, if they don't have the money to pay you, I mean, obviously you're being paid eventually for these jobs, how does that work? Sometimes as a professional artist, I'll be paid half up front, half when the job's over, sometimes it's weekly, sometimes it's monthly, it just varies, so what is that like for you?
1: I don't take jobs that aren't in weekly payment. I can't do that anymore. You don't trust... I don't trust them either. Because you've just, had to learn that the hard way? Yeah. And also, like, it's just not safe. Right. It's not a safe bet for yourself. I'd rather spend my time working on stuff in the studio and perfecting my craft so that I can get a job that is stable versus, like, breaking my back for something that might not be worth it. And, and that is a hard lesson, especially as dancers. Like, it's heartbreaking because... You want it. You want to perform. Like you want to dance. It's the whole point. We're here, and right? People take
0: advantage of that desire. Yeah, you.
1: and they don't pay people properly, and <laughs> it's it's not okay. It's mm-hmm. not. But because it's an unregulated field, because it's so expensive to be a five hundred one c company, people just don't go for it. They just don't. So you have to. I get paid hourly, anywhere between ten to thirty dollars an hour. Depending on which company I'm rehearsing for, depending on what the work is like, depending on if we're using point shoes or not, those sorts of things. Because point shoes are expensive. Mm-hmm. There are so many things that go into it, but I only take companies like that and that have like a long standing contract, almost contracted work. Like we have a set, I know I'll be pay- getting paid $30, however many dollars a week from this month to this month. Sure. And that's that's how I can plan ahead futuristic wise. Otherwise, I have to take 8 million other jobs to even. You know. Right, and
0: then it just becomes a level of stress where you yeah. can't focus on your craft anyway. Yeah. You recently, in dancing for a specific show for Homo Veritas, mm-hmm. you also took on a new role for that,
1: correct? You yeah. weren't just a principal dancer any longer, you were also doing something else. Yes, associate artistic director. It was an interesting role to take on because it didn't... At first, when I was asked, I my initial reaction was, no, oh my god, who... Whatever asked me to run anything, this is a terrible idea. Is this that is because any, you were afraid? No. Yeah, and a lot of people kind of were like, why are you so scared? This is... You already manage yourself. Like, why would managing a few other people be overkill? Or just helping to manage a few more people would be... Why would that be overkill? And I was like, all right. My mother actually was the one that, that put it in perspective for me. And she's like, if not now, then when?
0: Right. Sometimes you have to jump. You have to find that right place to yeah. jump.
1: And and as the late George Balanchine says, there is only now. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll accept it. So I did. And it, it's been quite, quite a whirlwind of a ride, but it's been so rewarding. Um, I didn't realize how rewarding sitting at the front of the rehearsal room was. I, I've only ever been on the other side, which is I'm getting told to do this, so I do this. And I arrive at this time, and I have to make sure that I am fit and ready to do this. Right? Being at the front of the room, being able to manipulate the situation so that everyone feels comfortable, having a control over the situation where the dancers that I'm around trust me, they, they believe in me, they believe in me as an artist, but they also believe in me as a leader, which is such a rewarding experience, which I didn't ever expect to come across, not so early in my in my career. Usually people start helping with those things later on well how early is
0: it really if you've been dancing your whole life that's true so you actually have 20 something years of experience at this point
1: that's true but rehearsal wise um i just wasn't sure that i could run it and Mm -hmm. that i could that or that i would have anything of value to say i just didn't think i knew enough which is actually the opposite truth it's i know plenty and it's it's time so so i accepted it and it and the company is taken off and doing is doing very well we're booked all the way until next june um, that's amazing.
0: And you'll be the, the Assistant Artistic Director until next June as well as Principal Dancer? Yes.
1: So um, we, we've we started some some spotted rehearsals already for some of the things that we'll be doing in June. Um, I can tell you that the work is incredibly intelligent, it's really stunning. We're, we're doing um, Mazorski's pictures at an exhibition mm. and uh, Modest Mazorski. Yeah, it's like a long 33 minute comp It's so beautiful. For um, those who don't
0: know, just watch Fantasia.
1: Yeah. Yeah! Night on the Bear Mountain. Um, I Yeah, we just started the uh, the old castle movement, and that is, oh my god, it's so beautiful. Anyways, you will have to just come see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm just excited for what the next year is gonna be like, especially with me in this new position. It's, it's very rewarding, I'm very happy.
0: I almost asked you earlier when you said uh, your mother's a classically trained pianist. I almost asked, so you grew up in a house where she was basically playing pictures at an exhibition for you and you were having to dance to that. I almost asked that as a joke.
1: And it turns out that you're
0: uh, performing that right now.
1: Yeah. My mom actually didn't play too much for us growing up. She has a little bit of arthritis in her hands so she can't really play very, very well anymore. But my sister played and she was very good and I played viola for seven years and I played no, viola for twelve years and flute for seven. So we were very musical. At least I was musical, or like the perfect fine arts child. I painted as well; like it was a whole deal. But my mom really loves the fine arts a lot, and she has a there's a very deep place in her heart for the fine arts. My dad kind of he he enjoys it and likes it too, but he you know, he's like all right, if there's tangible storyline, I can I can grab onto it. So he likes the classical ballets. My mom is the one that likes the really abstract. Stuff.
0: as we move forward for you in your life taking on these new roles what are some things that, about yourself outside of that that you have noticed have changed because of it I think one thing you would say and I don't want to put words in mouth, but being forced to be confident as in being a teacher creates more confidence in your life then in other aspects of your life so what are some things that you're noticing have changed in your life over the last few months since you've taken on these new
1: roles my level of tolerance for bullshit has lowered. <laughs> has lowered. I can't. If there are certain things that are not working out, I don't want to. That I, I don't want to be.
0: Is that because when it. you're put in a position of leadership, you're going to be bullshitted by people?
1: No, it's because I have to prioritize things now. Like I only have so much energy. I have a lot of energy, <laughs> but I only have so much of it. And to direct, only, right. to direct, and I when I delve into something, I used to delve into it one thousand percent. If I'm gonna take that approach to everything I have in my life, it better damn be well. Well, be worth it. You know, my time is valuable, and that's what I've learned is that my time is extremely valuable. And spending it trying to chase things that are, that are just not meant for you are not a good thing. So I I try to focus on whatever will, whatever the task at hand is, whatever needs to be done first, and whatever needs to be done well and then I kind of have learned to let go of that impending sense of doom for the things that I cannot control.
0: Mm, Because life is going to have as many things or more things that you can't control as what you can, right? Right, right. So what you're saying essentially is by finding a purpose and having real things that you have to do all day, you don't really worry about the things that you don't can control because you literally don't have the time to devote the energy to worrying about this stuff because yeah. you're doing something else.
1: Yeah, and it's it's exhausting too. You just you run yourself ragged doing that. Right. Also, one of the big lessons I've learned is that is that the creation of artwork does not necessarily come from being in pain. No, it, it Your doesn't have to. Art should never torture you. Right. And for a while, I thought it it should. And um, I spent a really dark period. Well, during formative years, of course, that that definitely really molded me as a dancer and and my movement style and who I am. But that it shouldn't. You don't need to be in pain to create good art. Sure.
0: At some point, you have to move past that pain. Otherwise, you just get stuck in it.
1: Mm Mhm. And that's kind of where I found myself. Is that now I kind of do have it all. I have, you know, I have two very successful companies that I'm a part of, that I get to dance with. I have many, many friends within the industry. Um, a wonderful relationship with my family, a great, you know, a really great home life. So people are pretty envious of me at the moment. And I think being able to say that and not feel bad about it is sure, no guilt it's, or shame. No, no guilt or shame. And for that's, being who you are. Because before I would, I would be so humble to a fault. It was bad, it was really bad. and I'm almost borderlining on self-deprecating, which is not healthy and also wouldn't get me anywhere in my career. what who, who's gonna buy a product that no one else believes in? So right. And I find the product I have to believe in myself. Sure. So.
0: Yeah, the, confidence is not arrogance. That's not the same thing. Ah. you don't have to be humble. You are just better off not being arrogant though, because I think actually arrogance is just another side of insecurity. When yes. you're overly something, yes. you're trying to compensate.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what I was harshly trying to avoid because most people actually saw me as, as very self-centered and I was like, that's not me at all. What are you talking about? And I started just trying to rid myself of that completely and in doing so, I realized that I was starting to take away some of the confidence that I had. And Really, what these people were saying to me was that it was... It was almost blinding to be around somebody who had their own internal shine, and and when you, when you, dampen that, it makes everything much more,
0: yeah, right, palatable right. for people. But I wonder also if it's just that you people seem self-centered when you have such a strong focus in something, so you yeah. are self-centered in a way because you have to spend the time doing yeah. this. I don't have the time to sit and talk to you about this BS right now, I have things I have to do.
1: Yeah, and that ruined a lot of relationships for me, a lot of friendships. So I lost a lot of people along the way, but I realized that it was, I am miles ahead of that now and and to the people that I have in my life now, I feel fortunate to be around. All the time, every day, and I admire everyone within my life so much that I have right now. I wouldn't ever wish for it to go back the other way. I'm right. very, you never very want happy. No, and I'm very happy about the people that I, I, you know, I have in my life now, as friends, as you know, as companions. As you know, they're all successful, driven, insp- inspirational people.
0: So obviously, you are currently an associate artistic director. Yeah, you're signed to the some point in 2018 yeah. how far down the road are you currently looking you said you know <coughs> what, what's the name of the uh the late mentor
1: that you were george oh george balanchine he's a he's an idol <laughs> idol he i said, wish he was my mentor no he's an idol <laughs> but he said the
0: present is the only time basically correct? there is only now yeah right mm-hmm. so we well, have obviously hit on plenty of now with you right now is there anything else that you would like to mention that's going on in your life currently
1: i think that probably somewhere in the future i i'm very happy with where i am now i'm definitely not done here so i will be here for another few years but i think travel is on the is on the list of things to do possibly maybe dancing in europe but that's another journey that i have to embark on now okay i'm comfortable at this level but i want to shoot for a little higher sure so i by i think by my 30s i want to be either You know in a a company full-time dancing that's touring or in a company full-time dancing that is overseas maybe i miss europe so much i I only lived there for like six months when i was like 21 but i something about being in it was it just felt much more home like to me i i maybe because it's the first place i lived on my own but it was it was i really want to go back badly
0: sure and you did mention you're going to London next month for a week? I
1: am, yeah. I am going to London in September for a week. I'm very excited to go. I hope to visit a couple companies while I'm out there, maybe take some classes, see what it's like out there, and see. But yeah, maybe, hopefully, next two years. I don't know. Ah.
0: <laughs> what would you like to plug for me? Homo Veritas? Yeah. How can
1: people find this? So you can find out more about the company by visiting, uh, I think it's HVDT dot NYC. And you can also search online for Homo Veritas Dance Theatre. Our company our company director's name is Matthew Berenbaum and that'll be the big project that I'll be working on. I also dance for Elastic Dance Theatre based out of New Brunswick, New Jersey and that'll be fun as well. Great. Yeah. Thank you. So exciting. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Laura, thank you for being a great friend and for shedding light on your career as a ballet dancer in New York. I learned things about you that I didn't know, and I appreciate that. As Laura mentioned, if you're interested in finding out more about the Homo Veritas Dance Theater, please go to hvdt.nyc. I'll include that link, by the way, in the show bio for this episode. As far as breaking walls, the next time you'll hear me on episode 65 will be on September 15th. I'll be presenting a show on what we can do about the rapidly mounting student loan debt crisis, which in America alone is now 1.3 trillion dollars. That's an actual number. We'll talk to a college advisor, a high school teacher, and adults with and without student loan debt to find out what we can learn and what we can do together. Because as you can imagine, a 1.3 trillion dollar student loan debt is a drag on the economy overall, and that comes back to all of us, whether or not we have student loan debt. Now, as I mentioned on the open, if you've gotten this podcast via Wallbreakers.com or some other web means and would like to subscribe, you can do so on iTunes, Stitcher, and tune in by searching for Breaking Walls, and you can do so on SoundCloud by going to at TheWallBreakers. The Wallbreakers Unity t-shirt line, it's available at jamesthewallbreaker.com slash shop or thewallbreakers.com slash shop. Our intro music today is Cesar Franck's Symphony in D Minor, Part 3, the finale, and slightly in honor of Laura, but also because it's our general outro music. It will be Modest Mazurski's Pictures at an Exhibition, Promenade number 1. Keep getting out there. Keep connecting. Keep battling those inner fears and insecurities by trusting in yourself and giving and receiving love. In short, ladies and gentlemen, keep breaking those walls. My name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls, episode number 64, and until September 15th, I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much. This is WBBN, the Wallbreakers Broadcasting Network. Thank you, and good afternoon.